0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership.
1: We at the American Association for Physician Leadership believe all physicians are leaders, but leadership comes in different forms and different styles. My guests today have enjoyed the many benefits of relational leadership. If you are unfamiliar with the term, this episode's for you. Prepare to learn about all things relational leadership next on Sound Practice. My guests today are Sarah Smithson and Kyle Turner. Sarah is a physician and vice president of partnerships at Intend Health Strategies. Kyle is an assistant professor at the University of Utah College of Pharmacy. Sarah Smithson, Kyle Turner, welcome to Sound Practice.
2: Thank you. Excited to be here. Thrilled to
1: have both of you. Let's start, Sarah, with you telling me about Intend Health Strategies.
2: Intend Health Strategies is a nonprofit organization committed to leadership development training, specifically in the space of healthcare and our true motivations come from the recognition that there are really widespread problems in healthcare. They've been, you know, ever present but increasingly amplified during COVID around clinician well-being, engagement, isolation. And we really view these not as the root problems themselves, but as symptoms of deeper problems, and we are most motivated by addressing those deeper problems. So things like people feeling valued and included, misunderstanding each other's work styles and the work they do, and ultimately the inevitable tensions and conflict that come from those root causes. So I think Kyle and I are excited to be here and talk more about this work that we've been passionate about for the last decade or more.
1: Excellent. Kyle, how did you become involved in this organization
3: yeah my involvement started when i was actually a student so i was a pharmacy student and invited to intend's first ever meeting national meeting of students from across the country and uh, we were in boston we were in uh cambridge at harvard and i was sitting next to a pa student and a medical student both from the university of utah but neither of whom i actually knew and we spent that weekend together and went through various trainings, and not only did we sort of become good friends from that, but we we spun off some work back at home, uh, starting a student-run clinic and really collaborating in a, in a special way. And as I reflected on it, I realized that, you know, we had developed deep connections to the training we had at that meeting. But not only was it close personally, but professionally, we sort of got the motivation and the energy to work together. And I felt like I actually was handed tools that weekend, like I was given things and ways of thinking and being that I felt almost responsible to use. And I'd say kind of the rest is history. I, I was sold from that moment and uh, have just had the chance to be involved over the last 10 years in, in various roles. And it's just a place I come back for connection, for community, but then also, you know, growth and development personally as, as I try and lead various initiatives.
1: Very, very nice. Uh, sir. how did you become interested in the organization?
2: Uh, So similar to Kyle, actually also uh, in gatherings at Harvard, I was a resident at the time that this organization was founded. It actually started as an organization called Primary Care Progress that came out of uh, a decision by a leadership at Harvard Medical School at the time to defund the small contributions that they were making to primary care. And uh, a colleague and I were residents in the primary care track at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And that colleague who ultimately was our founder, really with his background in community organizing felt two things. One is that even if it wasn't Harvard Medical School's goal to turn out hundreds of primary care doctors, it really sent an unacceptable message internationally about the value of primary care if Harvard was going to defund it. And so the second thing he believed was that he had a background and a skill set that could help improve the situation. So he mobilized the primary care community and at the same time found resources that the dean at the time could put to use to ultimately create the Harvard Center for Primary Care. And what that meant is that the dean had a successful new center and the primary care community within Harvard was winning having this representation. And so being a part of that experience as a resident was really motivating. From that grew this skill set that Kyle mentioned and this development of leadership trainings that we really realized could be put to use across medicine, initially focused in primary care and ultimately spreading beyond that, hence the name change from Primary Care Progress to intent Health Strategies. And I stayed involved over the years in this work and in 2018 was invited out to Oregon Health and Science University to be a co-trainer with Kyle, actually, in one of the leadership development programs featuring relational leadership and I, I've i never really been in a leadership program where I felt changed. I felt different. So Friday, I went out and I said, oh, I'm really excited to co-train this with Kyle. I'm looking forward to learning as much as I'm sharing, which is usually the case when you're really invested in it in a quality program. And literally that Monday, I felt different at work. And I thought, I have never been in a leadership program where I felt different, where I took the skills and immediately put them into practice. And I happened to be in a role at that time in leadership in the School of Medicine where I had an opportunity to to kind of pitch to other leaders and say, hey, let's bring relational leadership to UNC, which is where I was working. I really felt like we had a collegial community And we had an opportunity to take it to another level. And these relational leadership skills, as Kyle mentioned, just helped us really uh, recognize the value of that connection, how much more uh, closely aligned we could be as a team, how we could um, function more dynamically faster when we were more authentically connected to each other. And so I became more deeply involved in 2018. And just that continued to be more and more important to me in the ensuing years, especially in the context of COVID. And in uh, September of last year, I joined Intend Health full time to help share this work on a national level.
1: What a great story. Kyle, you've got to help me with relational leadership. Can you fill me in on what that what that means?
3: Yeah, uh, I would say, you know, it's um, in in the short way, I would say the the short version is uh, relational leadership is an approach to engaging with others where you care about the who and the why of the work as much as the what and the how. So we know that there's a lot of what and how to do, right? There's tons to manage and to take care of. and But if we start our focus, if we start at baseline with who are the people around me? Who is on my team? Who are they really? What do they care about? What do they value? What motivates them to come to work every day? That's where we focus. That's the start of relational leadership is to say, there's power and energy in the people around me. And let's move all those people in the same direction. Now there's mindsets and skills and things we go over to do that. But the foundational idea is that the people around us are the most important thing. They're humanity. So it's human-centered, person-centered. And from there, it's about figuring out what makes everyone tick and motivating them to, to sort of shared action together.
1: Very interesting. Um, Sarah, am I wrong? This sounds like it's putting a little bit of um, more art into medicine than science, to the extent that medicine is both an art and a science. Or are we we trying to up the uh, the equation on the art end?
2: Oh, I I love that perspective. I mean, happily, it's both art and science. We certainly have, you know, evidence to support the fact that the way we behave as leaders directly influences the experiences and the products and deliverables of those around us and our teams. Um, and yes, I think you're right. I mean, The feedback we get about relational leadership is that there are specific skill sets that we teach, specific practices, but those practices are really dynamic and adaptable to the person who's practicing them. So uh, we don't teach a checklist of these are the things that you need to do to be a good leader. We teach skills that people can make their own And incorporate in the ways that they most need to see them come into action in the environments in which they're working. Which to me is as much about the art of practicing medicine or being an effective team member, to your point, as it is about the science.
1: Now, is there one audience that's more receptive or appropriate for this than another?
3: Uh, You know, I. I think we take the philosophy that uh, at all levels, the ideas, the concepts, the skills that we teach in relational leadership can be applied and effective. I mean, as we've done cohorts across the country, it's amazing. The whole goal is actually to bring together a diverse set of people. So we've had students and C-suite members in the same cohort working together and learning from each other. So no matter, I mean, the idea is that you can be influential in your sphere and you have the opportunity to signal to the rest of your team and colleagues, a different way of being, a different way of interacting as the team. Uh, What I would say is, uh, and we found this as we've had various people come through, when people who hold formal roles, formal leadership roles, they have sort of that positional power, when they begin to signal working together in a relational way. When they begin to change their way of being, that impact is multiplied, right? Because of that influence that they have. So, uh, you know, everyone listening or, or anyone trying to engage in relational leadership, it's gonna benefit the team around you, no question. If you have the chance to infuse that into an organization and really model it as a leader, that benefit is just gonna, gonna grow exponentially. So to answer your question, uh, it's not, Geared for one particular audience. It's really meant all professions, all levels of training and practice and and leadership. But we do think that there is particular impact when someone who holds formal power has the chance to engage and uh, use these skills.
1: Sarah, it certainly seems like relational leadership would apply to, to many different industries, right? Of course, this is the podcast of the American Association for Physician Leadership. So we're today talking about it in the the sphere of 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 healthcare and in medicine and maybe you can tell me why relational leadership is important in that that arena.
2: Absolutely. In fact, we've gotten feedback in our one of the programs that we deliver at its deepest level level is called Relational Leadership Institute and we got feedback that we should call it Relational Life Institute. Uh, we felt like that was a a pretty big task to take on, and we would focus on leadership and healthcare. But uh, it was uh, well received feedback. We appreciated it, and I think you know in healthcare right now, and especially in in physician spheres, I mentioned you know at the top of our conversation about just the pervasive problems that are facing healthcare, whether it's this isolation, well being, engagement, and I think especially in terms of leaders they're being told, you know, fix it, fix it, Uh, fix those things as if they are the root. And to me, it's similar to seeing a patient in clinic with dangerously high blood pressure and saying to that patient, just will your blood pressure to get better. Just think it to improvement. When there are actually evidence-based tools like prescription medications that target the underlying pathology, the underlying mechanism. And those prescriptions are affordable. They're inexpensive and they take action very quickly. To me, that's the analogy here is that we know in our experience at Intent Health that these root causes of people feeling devalued, excluded, separated, not understanding the work they do together. There are these are the root causes. There are simple tasks that are simply about changing the way you show up. I mean, the challenge is honestly that some of them are countercultural to the way that we're trained in healthcare, especially I'll speak to my experience being trained as a physician. You know, we're basically told put on your white coat and everything that's under the white coat stays under the white coat. That's that's you, that's for you at home. That's not for professional you in the office. And when we approach the work we do in that way, really our only option is to be isolated, to deal with things by ourselves, to not engage with our colleagues in the most authentic ways, to not engage with our patients in the most authentic ways. And so I think this is exceptionally important right now because we are now we're seeing the consequences of that kind of lack of engagement with our colleagues and our patients in the forms of isolation and and um, you know hindered well-being. We have these skills akin to a hydrochlorothiazide blood pressure pill that we can put into immediate action for essentially zero dollars, and yet we're not doing it. Um, and so that's why I think this is really important, because it's fixable. We can fix these things with the right tools.
1: Hal, tell me about the the impact in in your area of medicine and in, in pharmacy. I could see how pharmacists would feel isolated from the overall healthcare system. Uh, maybe you could speak about the importance of relational leadership.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know more and more uh, healthcare is being delivered by teams. Uh, you know, so for me, I'm an integrated pharmacist in a primary care team. Uh, I still try to explain to my mother that I don't dispense medicines on a daily basis. Still trying to help her figure that out. But, you know, the the way that we interact with different professions is so key, right? And in seeing each other, understanding where everyone makes their highest contribution, where everyone shows up and how personalities can mix or not mix. So, you know, for me, I sit in a room with physicians, uh, PAs, NPs, social workers, nurses. I'm the pharmacist. And we are all trying to figure out how to contribute to patient care in the highest, you know, to the highest level possible. So for me, relational leadership says, let's build connections with each other. Let's know how everyone prefers to work and how they show up, what's going on over the weekend and how their kids are doing. And from there, from that level of trust and safety that we develop, then we can go out. I feel comfortable going to one of my physician colleagues and saying, hey, so-and-so is doing this, this might be a better approach. And, you know, we have that that level of trust and understanding. It's not personal. It's really focused on the care of the patient. And I feel like honoring the humanity and building the trust and safety uh, that we need has led to that. And it's almost, once you once you experience it, right, you don't want to practice in any other way, right? Once you have that level of, of trust and connection with your colleagues, you know, you, you wouldn't give that up for the world.
1: What, a, what an endorsement. Um, very, very nicely said, uh, Kyle. Sarah, you and I both know there are other leadership programs out there, and I'm sure that I'm not asking you to uh, critique or, or say anything negative about anyone else, but tell me why you think that this is uh, a superior program.
2: Thank you, Mike, for that question. And I would say I think I think we need a, we need variety, a variety of different of- types of leadership programs in order to find the ones that are authentic to us and to meet the various needs that we have as leaders in healthcare. Because the you know the skill set required is really vast. So I think relational leadership complements other leadership styles. You know we're not we're not teaching you know finance uh, or managerial accounting. Um, what we are teaching are skills that are really, really foundational to the work uh, that needs to happen right now across the entire healthcare setting. So relational leadership, I mentioned, focuses on bringing to the surface invaluable leadership skills that are sometimes viewed as countercultural. I think that's unique in terms of what we offer in relational leadership. I think we Also, one of our strongest assets is we develop in our attendees a sense of community. Some of our participants come in knowing each other. Um, And the point that Kyle made, typically, even when they know each other, they learn things by being in this program together that even if they've worked together for a decade or more, they never knew about each other. And that's not typically something that you get in a traditional leadership program people who don't know each other and come together in a cohort, what we've seen is they often want to continue meeting after the conclusion of the leadership program. Because as Kyle mentioned, once you experience this connection with other people, you really don't wanna let it go. Sometimes you try to take it out into your work setting And you find that it's challenging to apply it in a setting that isn't naturally relational. And so we find our participants want to come back into their learning communities and really kind of discuss how are people doing this? How are they putting this work into motion? So there's a longitudinal aspect of learning and development that comes with being a part of ultimately the the relational leadership community. Um, You know, we see people, really talk about transformation. Um, I mentioned feeling different on Monday than I did on Friday. And sometimes I think you engage in a leadership program and when you're there in the moment, you feel like it's a good investment of your time and you have time for self-reflection, but you don't always get actionable skills that you can put into practice the very next day at work. And I think that's something that we really offer that's unique. Um, Kyle, I know that we've talked about, I've, I'm taking a lot of airtime in this answer. And Kyle, you and I have talked about um, kind of the modeling that we do. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the play within the play that sets relational leadership apart as well.
3: Yeah, I would say, you know, it's um it's very traditional, right? You bring a group of people together, learn some skills, practice. Uh one of I'll just Take one example so we believe that psychological safety is one of the foundational principles for effective teams and effective leadership and so as much as we're sharing content what we're trying to do is to model what creating a safe space looks like what's it like when somebody raises their hand in the middle of a training and completely disagrees with something the trainer just said right what happens in that moment is so crucial right because we might be talking about psych safety, but if you shut that person down, right? Then that that dissonance isn't gonna isn't gonna land well. So what we try to do is create a space where people not only get to learn about a concept, but they get to see it modeled and they get to practice it themselves, right? And we put people into small groups and, and they get a chance, right? There might be some initial tension or disagreement and, and how do they work through that? So uh, as much as it is content that we're sharing in relational leadership, It's also sort of that modeling and, and as Sarah mentioned, a play within a play so people can see it and feel it and then try and take it back to work and create similar spaces in their own environment.
1: Is it difficult for certain personalities to adopt what you just described? Because I think that I'm beginning to realize what Sarah has been talking about, uh, aspects being countercultural.
3: Oh, man, try and label to a particular personality. Um, I don't think it's so much personality. But if you've been trained in and spent significant time in a very hierarchical, competitive, unsafe environment, then there's going to be some natural hesitancy to step into something different. Like, oh, you want me to share a story about me and what motivates me and why I come to work? Like, I don't do that that's not okay where i'm coming from so we are asking people to step into a small zone of discomfort right we're trying to push people and and some people are way over on one side of the spectrum and that's going to be a really uncomfortable first step i always find that our social workers are like all on board right away they're super comfortable with the whole uh the whole thing because that's how they're trained so I think it's less about personality, but if you are coming from a, a culture that that is challenging or maybe is so dramatically different than what we're trying to create, then, then you might have some issues. Sarah, I don't know if you'd, you'd add to that
2: yeah, this um question, Mike, reminds me of the interview I just listened to that you did with Jen Sweeney from X four, who we know well, and uh, shout out to Jen Sweeney and uh, third conversation. Their work is exceptional. And I think, you know, she mentioned that if you're not someone who feels like you're ready to necessarily open up and share a little bit of yourself, even just a little bit, um then maybe this would be, a more uncomfortable space for you. However, sometimes when we put ourselves in slightly uncomfortable spaces that ask us to stretch, that's where we get the most growth. And I will say that when we do this work in cohorts, no one is forced to do anything. We have people who say, you know, I'm really getting a lot from listening. I'm not ready quite yet to engage and share deeply of myself. Um, To Kyle's point, you know, we come into spaces with different identities, relative power. Um, It's not always safe for people to fully share of themselves. And we honor and respect that fully. So I think, you know, we try to, I think we see the greatest success when people opt into the space rather than when they are kind of voluntold to participate. It's a different experience, but I think um, there are very few people, if any, who have nothing to gain or learn or grow from in the space of relational leadership.
3: And maybe I'll just add, I mean, I'm a pharmacist. I work with pharmacists. I've delivered this in front of only cohorts of pharmacists. And if you want like a little bit of a tough crowd, like try delivering this to a group of pharmacists who are very analytical, often a little more reserved, but even then the feedback with my students when I do it or in you know bigger meetings with pharmacists is, is it feels different. And even if they're not maybe outwardly projecting uh, how much they're enjoying it, inwardly they're feeling something different and it, it is motivating and that's the feedback we've gotten so maybe medicine has its own version of that maybe there's aspects of physicians who you might think are, are uh, that tough cookie like a group of pharmacists but um, everybody has that opportunity and even if it's just incremental discomfort and change uh, there's benefit there
1: sir Kyle's answer brings to mind certain specialties and subspecialties of medicine that shall remain unnamed on this podcast. But I am sure that our audience at this point is is very interested in how to interact with your your organization. Our time's almost up, but I, I want you to tell uh, folks in our audience how they can get a hold of you and be part of your organization.
2: Absolutely. We would love to hear from anyone and everyone, and they can find more at intendhealth.org. They're also welcome to reach out to me directly. And my email address is S as in Sam or Sarah, S. Smithson at intenthealth.org. Again, everything um, about us is on our website, intenthealth.org. You can also reach out to us through there as well. I um, would love to hear from anyone who's interested in learning more.
1: What a great organization and um, really supportive of the, the medical community. So hats off and thank you to both of you. My guests have been Sarah Smithson and Kyle Turner. Sarah, Kyle, thank you so much for being on Sound Practice.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: My thanks to Sarah Smithson and Kyle Turner. Their efforts are improving patient care and the daily lives of healthcare providers. In these days of physician burnout and staffing issues, Sarah and Kyle are doing a service. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday.
0: You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org.
1: Pseudo had his holy cow. That man and Robin went from kapow.